Welcome, welcome, listeners. This is not a dip test, it's the real thing. If you want to talk pens, hey, hey, we want to talk pens. You're in the right place. That's right, scribes and scribblers. It's the latest since the great hiatus. You're back with the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Happy New Year to everybody, everybody, all of the people, uh, including my co-hosts for this episode, returning co-hosts, the pair of them. Uh, first up, our self-described cursed cat lady, Christina Kowalski. Welcome. Hi, hi, hi. Uh, next up, our very own ink monogamist, Aidan O'Brien, is back. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, and I'm the guy that uh, takes the gaps between the useful information and uh, fills it with inanity. Uh, you can call me Silly D. Williams, but most people call me Chucks Montano. What are we writing with today, guys? I couldn't help myself. I decided to bring three pens. Um, my latest acquisition was over Christmas. I don't uh, think anyone's gone to two pens when when we've asked them. But oh, you, well, done hey. three. It's new year, new me. Uh, so we've got the Dark Age Homo Sapiens uh, with a fine nib. And I've also purchased a Pilot VP Stealth, also in fine nib. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the third? The third is just what I've had before, which was a Pilot Custom Heritage 92. Great, great. Good old faithful. Okay, and what about you, Aiden? I'm actually going some of my favourite body shapes. I've got my Homo Sapiens Caput Mundi and my newest acquisition, the 805 Stressorman okay. from Pelican with a broad nib that was touched up by our very own Tav8. Tav does good work, which uh, takes me to my pen, which is the uh, Custom Heritage 92 that Tav has worked on. It's a broad and he's put a stub on it. It's great. One of my dailies. Can't recommend it enough. If you can uh, buy a Tav worked on pen somewhere, I don't know where you would source that, but uh, otherwise find him. You traumatize him via Facebook Messenger. Yeah, you can do that. That's what we're writing with, people of the podcast. Uh, We're going to get into some mailbag messages and some reviews. Chrissy, do you want to take this first message? All right. So the first one we have is from our own Facebook page, Arabella from Vermont. Uh, Thank you so much for producing this great podcast. It's enjoyable, informative, and helpful. I was also pleasantly surprised to hear that many of you are Terry Pratchett fans. Yeah, well, that's because most of us are people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think... um, (laughs) question uh, thank you very much uh, Arabella from Vermont uh, Josh from Columbia in South Carolina uh, wrote on our Facebook page uh, really knowledgeable and some fantastic guests definitely my favorite podcast please keep going now because you didn't specify Josh that you were talking about fountain pen podcast I'm just gonna assume that we're your favorite podcast and I'll take it you know that's <laughs> that's all I need uh, do you want to take this last one Aiden? yep so turnpike on the US iTunes page wrote Interesting, and I like the accents. Four out of five. Nice, enjoyable roundtable by our friends in Australia. Enjoy hearing their take. Please keep going, and I'll keep listening. But I have a question for you, Turnpike. Do you only like four of the five hosts, or do we only do 80% as good? Yeah, is it is the score four <laughs> out of five, or is it that there are five accents and you like four of them? Please advise. Because I'm <laughs> betting it's Diana. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our main topic today to kick off the year is uh, users versus collectors. You know, some of us are definitely building collections and some of us are really just keeping a, you know, whatever's on hand to do the job, maybe with a, a little bit of variety. You know, we've got a couple of questions here and first being the uh, 
can users and collectors peacefully coexist? Now, um, if you're not sure about, you know, well-documented historic rifts between the users and collectors, I'm sure there's a section for it in your local library, but um, <laughs> if one of you wants to take up, Chrissy, user or collector? Um, definitely a user. Mm-hmm. Um, purely because, well, I purchased my pens based on the fact that I'm going to use them somewhere down the line. I'm not going to keep them in the box. I'm not going to have them stored away. I'm not going to keep them for future generations or, or whoever who might look upon it at one point. Um, no, my pens will be in the rotation. I will use them um, as that is what they're designed for. <clears throat> I have a bit of a look at, you know, what defines a, a collector and I've just gone with, you know, dictionary definitions. Um, the person... dictionary defines love as... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I've been at a lot of weddings. A <laughs> right, um, person who collects things of a specified type, professionally or as a hobby. So by extension, we can say that we're, we're all collectors because we all collect pens, inks, notepads. But in that same token, I would say I'm a collector of notepads as I don't use them too often, but pens definitely a user. For my own edification, what, what, uh, what number is your collection sitting at? I've actually never counted. Okay. <laughs> how convenient. Hayden, how... Um, how many pens do I have? Which you think is also yours? Everything that belongs to you belongs to me. Lovely. Right. Um, no, you've got two Pelicans now, about three Pilots, and about four or five Viscontis, plus who knows how many Twisbees. I think so. And a Faber-Castell And well. a couple of Faber-Castells okay. now as well. So yeah. we're, we're, we're like under under 15. Under 15. Under 15. Yeah, Twisbees don't count. Now, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Aiden, where, where do you uh, fall on the users versus collectors? I am definitely a user, although I'm getting those collector urges occasionally now mm. to get a pen because I just need the pen, even if I have no plans to write with it. The white transparent that Pelican came out. That makes you a collector. Does <laughs> not. That's every pen I currently own, uh, just for the listeners, Diana's sitting here and she's holding a dog and keeping it quiet. I have a white transparent on order at the moment. And an ocean swell. And an ocean swell. But the ocean swell is definitely going to be used. But I suspect that it will get used at some point. Mm. It won't I be think, in a box perpetually. Perpetu- I think you guys are approaching the question as if collector is a bad word no 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 it's just that it's not it's just that we have with hoarder (laughs) yeah there's users collectors and then hoarders diana yeah i i i think there's um definitely like a there's no it's a it's a very hazy distinction um at you know at the sort of median median level of a collection i am at five pens six with one coming back from uh, mike masuyama soon and that's where I intend to let it sit. Uh, I have done the collecting thing with a lot of other hobbies. And um, I don't really want to go back to the days of 18 you know, sneaker boxes in my wardrobe and five of them in rotation because I don't want to get the other ones dirty, guys. <laughs> you can't scuff them. Okay. You know, That's not where I approach fountain pens. Uh, fountain pens have always been something that I'm, I'm intending to use pretty regularly. Some people definitely think they're users, where a lot of other people would classify them as collectors. Can we say that you guys are users who have collections? That would be that probably would be a bit more accurate. Area. Yeah. Since I only really collect, apart from the a couple of Twisbees for work, 
I only have pens, two types of pens. I have Homo sapiens and M800s with the occasional M600 thrown in and like the new octagonal that I grabbed a couple of months back. Yeah. I think I think the point is worth... Can you guys hear me? But Yes. yes. I think that the point is worth making because most of us um, who work on this podcast are users primarily who happen to have collections of varying sizes. So we approach the hobby um, and we evaluate pens in terms of their use value. So um, pens that are not usable will probably not get much attention from us. Even if even if they look nice. Well, even if they look nice, yeah. Well, some of my favourite people to follow on Instagram <laughs> are definitely collectors like Visconti El- Dave. Visconti Dave. Um, and David Brennan. Oh, well, what is Pelican. what does he collect? Oh, I, I think I, that, I'm I think not that sure. might not be Visconti. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like David, even though he is reg- definitely a user, we got a lovely group shot of all his pelicans, which is definitely a collection and a very finely tuned collection because he doesn't collect anything else. So I think that's where you start falling into the collector bug when you get a specific theme going through what you're collecting. In Chrissy's case, it's blue and silver pens with a couple of black ones thrown in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a valid point. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, whichever way you fall on it, that kind of leads me into our next uh, section where we have a series of interviews, which we've called them um, a collector's series. That's going to expand the uh, range of views that we have on collecting as a hobby. Uh, a lot of our staff, our regular co-hosts, prob- probably on the slightly more conservative end, uh, you know, as conservative as uh, fountain pens get. We've got an interview with uh, Nicholas Gold coming up. For the Collector Series, which I'm excited to introduce, it's a series of interviews that Sharon and I will be doing with members of FPO who I think most of us would consider to be collectors. And the question that we'll be posing to them is, do you consider yourself to be collectors of fountain pens? And um, my first interview, which you'll hear next, is with Nicholas Gold, and you'll see that he considers himself, well... You can hear for yourself, but um, a collector is not a word that he would use to describe himself as. So I hope you enjoy the interview. So I'm here with Nicholas, who is a blogger, a regular contributor to multiple online forums and communities. He's a very entertaining blogger and commenter. He's also first hub master for Australia. I think that was the year 2014. Is that correct? I think that's right, yes. Yeah, um, and have I left anything out? Uh, oh, no, I, I'm a great fan of yours and, oh, thank you. uh, and the nib section. <laughs> I'm just, we're just getting started, but I, I know that when I first joined the groups on Facebook, I admired your collections greatly because I was just getting into OMAS at the same time that you were flaunting all these pictures of your OMAS. And I was like, I I need to know this guy. Um, I need to see his collection in real life. I still haven't done that, although it's it's one of those goalposts together with um, attending the Melbourne Pen Show at some point. Well, next year when you you come to the, or this year, pardon me, when you come to the uh, Melbourne Pen Show, I'm sure we can arrange a... uh, A viewing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you. So, um, how long have you been collecting? Um, I have been collecting for a long time. I'm thinking it's around about the early 1990s when I started really collecting. Wow. So that, that, that ages me, doesn't it? That's, but that can also tell you when we start to talk about how many pens exist in the collection, yes. that they didn't just come about <laughs> in a, a year or two. It's happened over a long period of time. But I'd say the early 90s. 
Okay. Um, and what were you collecting in the early 90s? What was around then? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> many pens were around. Look, it's it, it started my sort of pen fetish, not not fountain pen fetish, but my pen fetish started earlier than that. And actually with Lamy Safari ballpoints, and I started points. collecting the different colors because I just like the different colors. I like the different design. Yep. And then a couple of Mont Blancs ballpoints started to to join the collection. Mm-hmm. And then I got a job where I was being paid more money than I'd ever earned in my life. And so I didn't know how to spend it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I'm no longer in that space. And I was walking past a pen shop in Melbourne and a Mont Blanc Hemingway was in the window. Oh, that's, the, I, that's the orange and black. Um, that's orange and black. One, that's right. Yeah. So this would have been 1992. Wow. The original orange out. and black. That's right. And <laughs> it was the first, it was the first limited edition Mont Blanc had. And I'm not actually a Mont Blanc collector of, although I have a few, but I'm not a collector. And I just liked the colors. I had the cash. I bought it. I really liked it. And then getting excited by doing that, I popped into the same shop a little while later and there was an Omas. 360 Magnum. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when they first came out. Yeah. And I loved that it was innovative, that it was different, that it was huge, uh, and it wrote superbly. I still have that habit. I still have both of them actually. Uh, and that began the OMAS journey. And then from there, just it grew. I liked the OMAS so much. I like I liked the innovation so much that I started looking more into OMAS. I got involved in the Fountain Pen Network. Uh, looking online, learning from other people who post their collections and that sort of thing. And I absolutely went head over heels over the OMAS celluloids. I've noticed that. (laughs) They're amazing. They're (laughs) so beautiful. But to start your collection with a Mont Blanc Hemingway, was that your first fountain pen? Uh, It was the first one where I'd say I was starting to collect. I did did have others. Or I did have at least one other. I had a, a Dunhill gold something or other. I have no idea what it was. Okay. I think they're, they're actually made by Mont Blanc as well. But I had a couple of others. But I wasn't into fountain pens then. The Hemingway was really the first to start the disease. So from the early 90s to now, how many pens would you say have passed through your collection? Or how, how large is your collection now? Give me um, an approximate number. Firstly, I don't say I have a collection. Okay. I say I say I have an accumulation. <laughs> One of the reasons I say that is I'm a user, I'm not a collector. Okay. And also I say that because if even though I love OMAS pens, if I don't like an OMAS that's available, I don't get it. Even mm-hmm. though it might make a, the finish a, a set or whatever or anything like that, I don't get it unless I like it and I'm going to use it. I agree with you there. So that's the first part. But then the second part is I would say I'm very deliberate. I do not count my pens because (laughs) that would tell me how many I have and I would be a bit shocked. Okay. Um, But I can tell you there's probably over 200. That's not too bad. That's not too bad? That's not too bad, I don't think. Oh, Uh... thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if your aim is to actually use your pens, I think 200 is a, a workable number. Too many more than that, I think you start to leave some pens feeling neglected. There's probably some <laughs> neglected members of the family there, but uh, I'm working on it. And would you say, um, what's the proportion uh, of your accumulation, shall I say, that are OMAS? Maybe 20%, 30%? Uh, it's probably closer to 45 50% even. 
Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> because I, I became obsessed with OMAS just a year before they went into administration. So it, that's when they became very hard to acquire. And they stopped making the real celluloid pens, I think, at that point. I think they're just historically some of the most beautiful fountain pens um, made in the last 50 years. But maybe that's a controversial statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won't have an argument from me. Okay. <laughs> but I certainly think in terms of innovation and and also in terms of beauty, and the celluloids that uh, OMAS have produced are extraordinarily beautiful. And you can listen to many other pen aficionados, whether it be SBRE Brown or the Pen Habit or Gourmet Pens, Fig Boudon Pens, all of those will talk about the OMAS Arco, for example, and when they're doing it, it's hard for them not to draw. No. Um, do you have a favourite, a personal favourite among the celluloids? Well, I have a favourite OMAS pen, which would be my Arco 360 uh, with the rose gold accents. Is that the, that's the brown Arco? That's the brown Arco, yep. uh, yes. I had the nib modified by John Modishaw to a uh, cursive italic. It writes like a dream. And the mm. Arco on a 360 is just glorious. It shows it off superbly well. Yeah, the facets really gleam, don't they? Absolutely. And it's a large space. It's a big So you really get a good view of, of the shiny bits. Yeah. So you mentioned as well as fountain pens, you also collect ball points. Um, do you still collect ball points or is it you've um, moved your obsession onto fountain pens? I've moved the obsession. I don't collect ball points at all anymore. I've still, I haven't got rid of them, but uh, the ones I have remain. I don't use ball points really much at all anymore. They're the thing I use when I have to fill in a, some sort of sheet in Jupiter. Yes. <laughs> Although you could, I think, use a pilot posting nib. Or, um, I haven't tested one of those myself, but I've heard that they will work on carbon paper. Oh, they probably would, but um, I don't find them very attractive. So they just wouldn't, they wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't come in very attractive pens. I think they only come in the, the 912 and that's, that's a bit boring. Oh, for my tastes. I know some people like clean lines and dark bodied with silver finishes. <laughs> so I know that we share some similar tastes, shall we say. You like beautiful materials, innovation um, in terms of design. Are there any other features or qualities you say that would draw you to a particular pen? Um, well, look, I, I think I, 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 this makes me sound phenomenally shallow. I'm certainly drawn initially by the, the looks. Yeah. So I have to like the look That's of it. That's not so shallow at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm attracted first by looks, but then that being said, if the nib is ordinary, mm -hmm. the looks become secondary because it's a pen yep. and you use it. And if, if writing with it is not enjoyable, that's a problem. So for example, I have a, a an Aurora uh, Monviso 365, I think, mm -hmm. and it has a, an Aurora stub nib and it drives me nuts. You've got to get exactly the right oh, uh, really? feel to it to get it flowing as you would like. And so I don't use that pen. I love to look at the pen and eventually I'll get the nib adjusted so that it's better for me because it's just too fiddly. Mm -hmm. I've got other Auroras, that being said, that, that write superbly and I love, just not that one. So it's starting with the aesthetics, yep. but it's like, you know, if you want to develop a long-term relationship, looks are never enough. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the nib and the writing experience. That's what but brings you back to it. Be, you know, keeps me uh, enamoured. <laughs> yes. I know because I have an Aurora stub. Um, I think it's their factory stub on an Optima as well. And that is the most forgiving stub that I've ever written with. 
it's interesting. Um, I think they must be hand-tuned to give you that variation if yours works so few of the time and mine just works straight out of the box. Unlike the Twisby, unlike their italic nibs, which I find a little bit finicky, my Aurora stub is just amazing. It's so smooth and really wet. Right. I'm actually a fan of the of the uh, Twisby uh, 1.1s, actually. As you know, because you seem, yes. I think you've <laughs> one of my one point. We won't say on air what happened to that. But uh, I, I really like the Twisby 1.1s. No, I don't mind sharing the story. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas was um, generous enough to send me one of his Twisbys. I think it was a 540. Um, it was, yes. Yeah, a blue 540 with um, an italic nib. And the moment I took it out of the post, I barely inked it before it cracked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. Um, I bought a replacement online um, to match it exactly. I don't know if the nib works as well, but I, I think I sent you back the original nib as well. So hopefully it's okay. So it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's perfect. It also goes to say, you know, you don't just have to have, you know, for people who are listening, I know OMAS pens can be quite expensive, but I equally enjoy, or perhaps not equally, but I also enjoy some of the cheaper pens, whether it be the Lamy Safaris or, or the Twisbees or even some of the Chinese pens, uh, which write really, really well and, and a, a fabulous experience. Actually interested in trying some of the plastic Chinese pens. I'm not a fan of the Jing Hao's. I think they're too heavy for my liking. I think they're big metal, I think, bodied pens and they just do not work for me. But some of the newer ones, the lighter acrylic ones, I think might be worth a try at some point. Um, I certainly have, and I know this is somewhat controversial, but I have a, I think it's Hero, do a Lamy Safari copy. It's, I mean, it's an absolute identical copy with the only exception being the materials. Uh, so they have different colours and so on. Now that I've got one which is a transparent green, which is a fabulous writer, and it cost me a dollar twenty nine, including postage. I wouldn't knock Chinese replicas um, or imitation pens just out of the gate. I think they're definitely worthwhile um, trying out, and really good to, place to start if you want to get someone hooked on the hobby. <laughs> Until you get it, <laughs> it's the end of the line. <laughs> well, it can be the start or the end of the line. Um, That's right. So what would you say out of all your pens, which is the one that has been the most trouble to acquire that took you the longest time? There isn't one that's really taken me that long. There is one that I've been, uh, and I think this is going to be a later question of yours, sort of the grail pens. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a pen that I really would like that I've been looking for for a long, long, long time and just it just hasn't come up. Uh, and that's a unsurprisingly an OMAS. It's a, it's called the Philharmonica back ah. from 2004, I think. And I it have was, that pen. You had that pen. I have that pen. You have that pen. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's the three times OMAS, isn't it? It is. It's yes. a, a music. It's the only music nib I think they ever did. Yes. And I'm, I'm not surprised I didn't do it again because it's not a good nib. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I don't want it in that case. But that's been one I've been looking for for a long time. With that exception, I haven't really had to work that hard at finding the pens I want. If they cost too much, I wait until they come on the secondhand market mm -hmm. and somebody has one that they're prepared to sell for a lot less. And I'm I'm infinitely patient. I, I have, as we started this discussion, plenty of other pens to keep me occupied mm -hmm. while I wait for whatever the pen may be that I'm looking for. 
So because I know some people, they go into it with a list of what they want or um, they have particular targets that they set for themselves. You know, I, I need to get that one. And they will scour all the websites and request, you know, post on broads um, saying, I want to buy this pen and see who replies. But it seems to me like you're more of an opportunistic buyer. Would that be fair to say? That would be fair. Look, I, there is one pen that I did actually post on a few boards and Reddit and a few places to, to try to get, which was actually a pilot. And I know you have this as well. The pilot uh, VP water services, Minimo. Oh, yes. Because I've loved that, the pilot with the Raden stripes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful pen. And I did eventually get that through Reddit. Oh, through Reddit. Okay. Yeah. Because they're not limited editions. I thought they'd be fairly easy to um, to get in the Japanese market. Well, you can if you want to buy it new. But again, I couldn't justify the new price. Right. That's true. It was. It's very expensive <laughs> pen, and I really like it. But I just didn't want to spend that that amount of money, uh, and eventually found one for considerably less that I'm very happy with, and it's a regular user. Yeah, I think that's really healthy. Actually, Th that lets you. Well, if you're flexible, you're able to catch the deals. You know, it doesn't matter so much if they fit into this rigid idea that you have of what your collection should be. If you're willing to take um, those opportunities that come up, then I think it's a more interesting experience. That's how I tend to experience it. Yeah, and it's, it's the same. I'm not rigid. I enjoy the exercise or the art of writing. I enjoy using what I use and I enjoy seeing the different opportunities and things that are out there. So, I mean, you get involved in the different um, forums that are out there. You learn, you play, and then you can experience and then change your collection or do whatever you want. On the subject of, of using your pens, do you have a particular nib size or a particular type of nib that you think you prefer above others? I do. And this is another interesting one because when I started my collection and collecting, I only got extra fine nibs. Was that um, for any particular reason? Because I enjoyed writing I with the extra fine nibs. Just purely it, it seemed to suit my handwriting and what I enjoyed doing. But that's gradually changed over the years. So now my standard nib would be medium cursive italic, Okay. And a lot I of like, those you've had ground. Yeah, a lot of them I've had ground. Omas, when they did their extra flexible nibs... Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed those mm -hmm. and for those I'd be getting a fine because there's, there's there are different grades of the extra flexible nib. I have extra fine, extra fine is too fine, but the fine extra flexible are lovely and again you get that beautiful line variation. I have some vintages again which have that bit of line variation and some of them are quite broadish, enjoy those. And then if I go to the Japanese nibs, I have a, uh, on my, I've got a classic pens LB5. The nib on that is a sailor broad and that's just heaven. It's just beautiful. So nothing too broad. Medium cursive italic is your sweet spot. Yeah, I, I have gone and had some broad. I have a, a Visconti Homo sapiens crystal, mm -hmm. which originally had the 1.9 stub. I didn't know that they made those. Uh, well, it was, it was ridiculous. It was so, <laughs> it was like writing with a paintbrush. This is one of those stories where I can say that it wrote beautifully from day one, which is unusual with Visconti. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah with the Visconti stubs. <laughs> I know that is controversial, but I ended up having it ground to an architect nib. Uh, <gasps> I know that, that is that is controversial. That is, but I like it. It's actually good. It's still a bit too broad for me, but it's now much more enjoyable to write with. 
Yes, for those who have now turned off their uh, <laughs> the I'm, interview in shock and horror, I apologise. I'm just thinking of what um what Aiden would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, Aiden, it's not always just the way you want it; it's the way we all want it. That's true. And there's nothing wrong. And that's what's great, actually, about one of the things that's great about fountain pens is it's about your style and what works for you. And there isn't a right or a wrong. It's what works for you and what you enjoy. That's right. Yeah, that's great philosophy. So we've talked about your pen, the, your grail pen. How do you define your grail? Well, I'm a bit of an obsessive compulsive when it comes to grail. I think a grail means unobtainable. Uh, so Some would agree with you. <laughs> I have a grail. My grail pen would be the Mont Blanc 1914, Heritage 1914 in orange or coral. Oh, I'm going to have to Google that one. It's a beautiful looking pen. It's like the 1912, but much bigger. It oh. has a mother of pearl, a star at the end. It's a glorious looking pen and it's about $25,000. And I will never spend that on a pen. So it's a, a grail pen that I look at and go, it's totally unobtainable, but I'd like to look at it. <laughs> so was that a re-release of an earlier design? Yes, it was. A limited edition of 300, I think from 2016 or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah, um, I remember. And, and it's very similar. It, the 1912 was based on the safety pens of the 19... 30s or thereabouts. That's right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really just a larger version of that. It's a, it's a great pen. So that would be a grail. Anything else is a pen that I would love to acquire at some point or other in the future in May. Okay. I'm lucky in the sense that, like you, I would not consider buying pens that I wouldn't write comfortably with. So pens like the um, Mont Blanc Heritage 1912 and the 1914, they're just, they're okay to look at, but they don't go on my list automatically because I don't find them comfortable to hold. So that rule automatically just cuts out a whole swath of pens from my desirables list and yes. um, fantastic for my wallet <laughs> <laughs> because uh, there's enough to, um, to, to collect as it is. There is indeed. That's right. You don't have any rules that would discount a pen automatically? Well, apart from a ridiculous cost, yeah. then the other rules, no, the, it's, I've got to like it. If I like it and the only way it would be discounted would be if I couldn't afford it, it was somehow donating to something that I had an ideological problem with. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything that would fit that, but never know. Or a his or her pen. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a his or her pen. Yes, I would probably struggle with that. And in fact, I wouldn't. I'd probably get the her version. <laughs> but um, I think, generally speaking, if I like the look of the pen and the nib looks looks like the sort of nib I could enjoy, then fine. I suppose if I'm not sure of it, then I'm going to wait until I get a chance to see it and touch it in person. Do you find that to be a challenge, seeing as we're in Australia, to um, to see pens in real life? It is a challenge, but it's becoming a bit less so. There seem to, we seem to be getting great opportunities to see a lot more. And the pen show, the Melbourne pen show, and then next mm -hmm. this year, the Sydney pen show as well. And the increasing number of people who are interested in pens and who travel overseas and bring some back <laughs> means you get increased opportunity to see, to try and to decide whether you really like. We need to get you down to Sydney at some point and then you can show us your OMAS and Sharon and I will share our Nakaya collection with you. That sounds good. I've got a few Nakayas. Yeah, I've seen a few of your Nakayas. <laughs> and Nakayas, I love the look of, but I've stopped buying because the nibs don't do it for me. Um, have you tried their music nib? Yes, I've got, a, I've got one with a music nib. 
it's for me the music nib on the Nakaya is too broad. Oh, I see. And I think if I found one because I, I have a platinum three seven seven six with a, a soft fine, and I think if I had a medium fine equivalent, that would probably be a sweet spot for me. The only two Nakaya nibs that I would really consider getting on the pens and that I like writing with is the music and the soft medium. Because I think the soft medium is an ideal everyday writing nib. And the music is beautiful when you hold it upside down. <laughs> it's ah, one of those music nibs I, that write smoothly both sides. So um, if you find it too broad the right way up, turning it upside down, that will give you a really smooth, a very wide cursive italic nib, which I think is beautiful to write with. I'll try that later on tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do your friends and family know about your um, your accumulation, your 200 plus accumulation of pens? They don't know how many I have, but they do know. And my, of course, my partner especially, she knows. <laughs> <laughs> She scratches her head and looks to the air, but she knows. And yes, that does make me a touch odd. But at the same time, I find that increasingly people are wanting to try and are interested and want to ask questions. And you know, at work, I found people were starting to buy fountain pens um, just to see what they were like. It's growing as a, a hobby, and I think it's great. That must be quite amazing to see the development of the user community just over the last 30 years or so. Over the last, not even just the last 30 years, <laughs> over the last two to five, wow. uh, it's just uh, increased exponentially. I popped into a, a shop in Melbourne, which is not a pen shop. It's a, a sort of gift bits and pieces shop and they had a Caveco, uh, a number of Caveco pens and uh, the fellow there was telling me that they come in, they go out. He said they are ridiculously um, popular. Oh, Caveco's uh, are very and, cute. They no, make great cute. gifts. They do make great gifts, but it's the fountain pens too. It's not just that they look good. People are starting to write with fountain pens and I, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, one of the reasons is it's a, a bit of a reaction to the speed with which everything's happening in the, the modern world. I think fountain pens for writing what yoga is for life. It's a sort of an opportunity to slow down and enjoy. Uh, and I'm surprised by how many people in the, who work in IT are yes. into fountain pens. But I think part of that is because it's not IT, because it's, it's a reaction to how fast and quick mm-hmm. everything else is. The chance to slow down, write, and what you get an opportunity to do with writing, too, is you can see people's personality in writing in a way you'll never see with an emoji or, a, or typing a, an email. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think another reason that, that it's grown is that connection to history. Fountain pens are, are associated with that lost world of, you know, of powdered faces and wigs or major declarations or great novels or scientific endeavours before computers. You hold a fountain pen in your hand and maybe especially a, a vintage pen and somehow you become a bit of a, a part of that history. I think that's also an attraction for people. The third attraction, and somewhat ironic too, is, is actually the internet. And that's um, it's much easier to be exposed to fountain pens mm-hmm. in a way that it, it ever has been before. And with podcasts, with Facebook, with various blogs, etc., face pen groups, and all of all of the people who are out there, you can get right into it and become a part of a community very quickly and enjoy it. And I think that's been very clearly happening. 
we're now going to have two pen shows in Australia. The, there's so many different things that are happening and so many opportunities mm. now for you to get involved in fountain pens that, that, that ever existed before and people are enjoying it. I have this interesting perception that I'm from the generation who really did a lot of writing while we were in schools and it wasn't until I left university I think that that children really sort of gave up handwriting as their predominant mode of assessment and also note-taking but I think for younger people people younger than myself that is who have really grown up on laptops and touchpads and, um, you know, their iPhones and so on. Fountain pens really make the act of writing something special. You know, they, they do so much, so little handwriting as it is. Why would you, why would you want to spend that time using this crappy ballpoint? You know, you want to enjoy that experience. You want to make it something special. So I, I like the anachronism or the, um, the juxtaposition of, you know, 15 year olds who don't ever touch a ballpoint, but they will use a fountain pen at the same time as, you know, they take all their notes via their headphones or um, on their laptops. Um, and I like those two things going together. I, I think there's n absolutely no um, contradiction in that. No, I think you're right. I, I've got a 14-year-old daughter uh, and she's, I mean, she's of the Snapchat generation, spends a lot of time using her thumbs rather than her all of her hand. She needs and, to exercise uh, her hand more. Yeah. <laughs> But she enjoys, when she enjoys using a fountain pen is when she enjoys watching what it can produce. And a fountain pen, you know, you can write a little slower, then you can start seeing variation in your handwriting and it starts to, it's almost like a work of art. It allows you to, to connect to the creative part of your brain. Uh, and I think that that's what she really gets into. So the growth of, uh, the regrowth of calligraphy, we had the first uh, calligraphy conference in uh, Melbourne earlier or late last year, 2017. Calicon. Calicon. Yeah. I went, and uh, it's a lot harder than it looks. I did a, I did a workshop, and I was uh, I did okay, but it was a lot harder than I was expecting it to be. But a lot of fun, and the people who were uh, engaging in it, they had a they had a great um, a great number of people doing it and getting involved, and and all of them having a ball. I think the best piece of advice I've received about doing calligraphy is really slow down and um, keep assessing your work as it's being produced. Because our handwriting, our cursive is usually, there's so much pressure for speed. But in calligraphy, you really need to make the strokes very, very slowly. It's a different pace of producing writing. Oh, you're absolutely right. It is. You've got to slow down. You've got to have your pens at certain angles. And you've also got to know what it is you're producing. So you need it to be consistent. The size, everything, it's got to be consistent. Yeah, uh, consistent. And you need to know, you have to have forethought, you know, plan ahead of what you're going to be writing. That's right. <laughs> Or, although you do, you can get so obsessed with form that you actually forget. So I, I actually was writing one thing and I was really happy with the way it looked, but I forgot a letter in the middle. <laughs> so did you go back and do it again? Yes, I did. And it didn't look, the other letters didn't look as good. I didn't, I, I had got too obsessed the oh, first exactly. time, not obsessed enough the second. <laughs> all of those things are growing and they're all part of, they're all link. And then if you're a fountain pen person, of course, there's, we haven't even talked about inks and paper and all of those other things that people equally obsess about. Yeah, we're not going to talk about my ink collection. That's We can talk about that because my next question was going to be, what do you collect besides fountain pens? Okay, well, I, uh, again, I don't collect. No. I acquire yep. and accumulate. 
but uh, I've just been classifying all of my uh, inks just using one of those uh, colour rings that um, can't remember her name produces, okay. and I've filled that with already a hundred different inks, and I've still got a huge container full of inks still to go. So I seem to have a lot of inks. I don't know how that happened. It just seemed to happen. Maybe cataloguing uh, them was a bad idea. Yeah, well, maybe it was. <laughs> it's a bit like counting the pens. Suddenly exactly. I realised how many there are there. But no, it's great because I actually can see the different colours and, and I'm going to be really good this year. Uh, this is not a New Year's resolution because I don't believe in making resolutions, or at least not New Year's ones. But uh, I am going to look at all those colours. Like I've got... So far, 14 different red inks, and I don't really write with red inks, so I'll probably pass those on to people who like them. No, uh, I think unless you're a marker, you don't use a lot of bright red ink. That's that's right. It makes you come off as um, perpetually angry. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yes, inks, I have a lot of inks, and after that, then I've also got an accumulation of field notes notebooks. I just started collecting them well, not collecting them, but subscribing, and that's grown to many boxes full of them, and I, I really don't use enough of them. So, again, that's another one I, I really need to look at. <laughs> and then after that really uh, non-stationary related, uh, I probably have a bit of an accumulation of watches, I suppose. Ooh, something that's very dangerous to collect. My father collects watches as well, and I, I've, I'm so lucky. You will never know that the gene skipped me because um, I think if I collected watches, I would never have m enough money for anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, watches are quite can be quite expensive too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you you're quite involved. Um, you're active online, and you must have met a lot of fellow other people would probably call themselves collectors. And what you're doing is, I think, if you have more than five or ten pens, then you have some sort of a, a collection. Let's just use that term in air quotes. Um, yes. But what do you think fountain pen people have in common? Is there anything that you've noticed? I went um, in, back in 2008. I went to the US actually for the um, Obama election campaign and met up with in San Francisco. They had a, they had a pen posse, they mm -hmm. called it, where I met up with some pen people, a, a number of whom are now sort of permanent friends. I think what I find in the fountain pen community, maybe it's because... We thought, oh, thank God there's somebody as bizarre as I am out there. But I find the community warm, open, diverse, uh, and really, really accepting and, and eager to teach and share. Really, I, I, I have not found any negative aspect, you know, not, not many negative <laughs> aspects at all. I won't say it's not absolute, but very few negative aspects. The fountain pen community is a really warm, open and wonderful community. As I said uh, in an interview Nib Section did back at the Melbourne Pen Show, fountain pen people are good people and yep. they really are. Yeah, that should really? just be the motto. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's I, think true. It's, I think it's just because we're so glad, you know, we're like um, people on the high seas reaching towards each other. I'm so glad to have found you. Um, this <laughs> gratefulness at meeting like-minded people. I think, you know, I think it's more the, the hobby that we've taken on board is one that connects, I think, to your to the creative part of your brain. And I think when you're sitting in that part of your brain, it's a lot more generous, open, 
and flexible. And I think, therefore, the people who are likely to be involved in that are going to be that sort of people. So I think it's more, it's, it's what we're collecting. If we collected weapons or if we collected yeah. something, we may be not quite the same sort of people. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with collecting all those other things. But in the fountain pen community, it's that creative an artistic bent, I think, that sits within writing that brings people, makes people more open and uh, open to, to difference and open to sharing and engaging. No, I love that as well. And at the same time, I think it's really important to, while we're in the community, to magnify, you know, the, the voices that are positive and that are inclusive and welcoming and eager to teach, um, eager to share and because the community is what we make of it. Absolutely right. Now look, certainly when I have a table at the Melbourne Pen Show the last couple of years, part of that is, is selling pens I don't use anymore or whatever, but the other part of that is just giving people a chance to use some of the pens I have so they can experience those and to talk about different issues we might have with pens, what we do with them, where we found things, who we get our pens, our nibs ground with, uh, do we do it ourselves, all that sort of stuff. And that general discussion is broadening the community and encouraging more people to get engaged. Yeah, and, and thank you for doing that. So let's get to the really, really tough nitty-gritty question. Um, <laughs> what are your top three favourite pens from your accumulation? Really hard question that I've thought about. I, I'd say my number one pen is the pen I mentioned earlier, which is my OMS 360 Arco. That would probably be my number one pen. I'm quite relaxed about that. What's the nib on that again? That's got a cursive italic, oh, um, found by uh, John Mottashaw at yeah. uh, nibs.com. That is a beautiful pen to write with. It's a beautiful pen to look at. It's a beautiful pen, full stop. My second would be actually the uh, another pen we've mentioned already, which would be the Pilot uh, Vanishing Point or Capless uh, Water Surface Minimo. It's a beautiful pen. Uh, I love Again, the innovation in the vanishing points. I mean, not an innovation anymore. They started in 1964, I think. But unsurpassed. <laughs> unsurpassed. They're still a great pen to write with. Never had. I've got a, a few of them. I've never had an issue with any of them. And the ease, if you don't like a nib, you just put a different <laughs> nib in. Um, the choices are good. The only criticism I've ever had have of them is uh, you can't have a lot of ink in them. So they run out of ink fairly quickly. But that aside... Really handy, really easy to use, and the the water surfaces is a, just a beautiful looking pen as well. So it's a joy. I love that pen. Then third, I really <coughs> excuse me. I struggle. It's uh, a tie. It, it it could be a multiple tie between many. I have a uh, a sailor. 1911 large aqua that I've I absolutely love the look of and the nib writes like a dream sailor uh, they have a king of pen well they are the king of nibs mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. really do produce spectacular nibs um, the broadest which are range of nibs broadest range there's a heap I've never used that I'd love to try and this has just got a medium nib but it's just a joy to write with I love it it looks wonderful it feels good in the hand it's a great pen that's sort of one of the thirds I also have a and I say I'm not a Mont Blanc person, but I have a Mont Blanc 146 uh, 90th anniversary edition. So that's the rose gold, which has a cursive italic nib that Dan Smith from oh, Nibsmith wow. ground for me. I originally bought it, just had a medium nib, and I found it really boring. And I thought, this is so sad. I've got this lovely pen or sort of this uh, almost flagship pen, and it's it's okay, but it's nothing special. 
once Dan Smith did the cursive italic to it, it's just the perfect weight, really easy to write with and writes beautifully, nice lines, variation. It's a it's a lovely pen. And the third third <laughs> <laughs> that I put in there, partly for emotional reasons and partly also because of the way it writes, is the first OMAS I ever bought, which is the um, 360 again, uh, magnum size. It's just black. It's got an extra fine nib. I love this pen because, again, of the innovation, the, the 360 it was fabulous to hold for me. Ergonomic design when all other pens were round. This is triangle and all the way across, not just the triangular grip of a Safari or a Twisby. And it writes superbly. The ink lasts forever given it's an extra fine and it's such a long pen. It's a piston filler. Again, it's a great pen. So I think... That will cover it today. Mm-hmm. Talk to me in a year's time and there may be different ones in, in those spaces because that's also the lovely thing about fountain pens. You, you you can change around. And when you've got as many as I have, you go to your collection and say, oh, I haven't used this for a while. And you go, oh, why haven't I used this for a while? My God, this feels good. So you've got plenty of choices. I have a question about your 360, actually, um, since you mentioned two 360s in your favourites. Yes. Um, I know you like innovative design and you probably heard recently online um, there was a bit of a discussion about how people felt about these custom pen makers taking up designs whether it's from Omas or Nakaya or any really recognizable iconic design and reproducing it in their own works probably on, on a very small scale but it's it is for sale do you have any thoughts about that are you for it or against it would you ever consider purchasing a 360 that's or a 360 style pen that's not made by omas uh, look it's a good question so when the asc the amando simoni club bologna came out which is a uh, arco it's a sort of a omas ish pen although it's mm-hmm. round not uh, faceted i was a bit iffy about is this just a copy it's not really an omas is it the right thing but it had enough differences that i say it's it's unique enough to make it its own pen its own thing i think if it's an absolute identical copy that's made by a custom maker for one person then that's that's fine because that's that's like me asking a furniture maker to copy a, uh, a famous design, give me that for a less price or, bec- or or just because it's available. I don't object to that. I think if they mass produce it and produce it under their own name as if it's their thing, then I think it starts to be wrong. Yes, I think I, I agree, especially with you on the last point. It's when that inspiration or um, that credit is not given it's not acknowledged that that really irks me quite a bit you know when um they just name it as if they really came up with the design themselves and then try to dodge the issue when someone brings it up i I don't know if that's the case but that would really annoy me and um would certainly turn me off wanting to buy one that's right i mean i I know there was controversy about we won't say the name of the pen maker but the pen maker who whose pens in fact i've got a pen coming from him soon mm-hmm. he does beautiful um, work he does superb work and his acrylics and and the different things he uses are phenomenally innovative when he produced a, a, a essentially a copy of an akaya he was doing it for him to for a particular person he was doing it in a short run I don't begrudge that. And he wasn't pretending it was anything. It wasn't pretending it was his original design. And he also had a, a, a good broader reputation. So therefore, I don't begrudge it. There's a um, manufacturer 
of some rollerball dash fountain pens uh, on Kickstarter at the moment, which are carbon copy to the Ajoto, A-J-O-T-O, I think. Oh, I think I've heard of those. They're a UK company. I, I actually have one of their rollerballs. They're a beautiful pen. The ones on Kickstarter are an absolute carbon copy. Mm-hmm. There's no reference whatsoever to a Giotto. And I'm thinking, well, that's just, that's a Kickstarter that's a lie. And that's wrong. I mean, they're cheaper than the Ajotos. Uh, they may be as good or not as good. But when it's a carbon copy, you're selling it as if it's your great design and aren't you fantastic. Then you're selling a lie and that's, that's wrong. I've been taking up so much of your time already, but I have one final question and maybe you should touch wood. But if you could restart your collection again from scratch, are there any changes that you would make? Any mistakes perhaps that you would avoid making? (laughs) I think pen collecting is, is, is like life. Each new step is based on what you've learned in the last step. So if you didn't go through the mistakes you wouldn't take the next steps you take. So it's very hard to say how you would go. Um, But were I to give advice to somebody who was thinking of starting up, uh, I would say purchase the pens or try the pens that you like, that you're attracted to first. Don't buy on the basis of FOMO. There's no, you're not going to miss out. The Mm -hmm. the great thing about fountain pens is uh, they will always be around. When, When OMAS died, uh, back in um, nine, uh, sorry, 2015, 16, people said, well, that's it, they're gone. But a fountain pen doesn't just disappear. You can buy vintage fountain, you can find vintage fountain pens that are 100 years old still around. So they will always be there, so don't worry about missing out. Purchase a pen when you're ready to purchase a pen. Enjoy it, use it. Don't just keep getting them because they're the latest thing and let it happen organically. That would be the best advice I could give. I'm very happy with the way my collection happened. I wear my mistakes and I still love where I am. Very wise words. So, Nicholas, your blog is at thequilladilic.blogspot.com.au. You're on Instagram as uh, thequilladilic as well, I think. Q-U-I-L-L-I-D-Y-L-L-I-C. Is that right? That is correct. Um, you're also on Twitter as You've Got Gold. You Struck Gold. You Struck Gold, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> is there anywhere else that we can find you online? No, you've pretty much, you've pretty much got the gamut there. So that's, that's Instagram. Face, oh, I'm on Facebook as well, but Facebook is more me watching than posting. So we'll have those links on our show notes. Thank you so much, Nicholas, for giving me your time your experience, your knowledge, you're welcome down to Sydney at any time. And I certainly hope to catch you in Melbourne at the Melbourne Pen Show. Thank you so much and uh, enjoy your editing. <laughs> well, luckily we have um, Denise to do that. Uh, so. oh. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much. It's been a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you soon. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm going to turn the mic over to Aiden for our news section. Uh, he knows a little more about the new releases than I do. Tell us about them, Aiden. Thanks, Chuck. So we've got a few for February. We've got Pelican's Edelstein Ink of the Year has been announced. The Olivine, a rich dark green from their Instagram account. It's probably going to end up in one of my pens or two. Lamy has their vibrant pink coming out in February as well. Platinum's Oshino. It's a clear demonstrator. Uh, I don't know too much about that, but it's apparently also February. We do have a rumour from Visconti Italy's Instagram account that when they were wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, 
they put a Chianti Shire and an unknown Homo sapiens acryloid edition mm. on. Uh, so that that's an attractive tan sort of colour with brown streaks of celluloid through the body and it appears to be midi size. We don't have any other more any other detail on it yet. Yeah, definitely smaller than the Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm personally hoping that it's just Photoshop smaller. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, you know, more, more news on that as it develops. All right, well, as the show is wrapping up, we come to our recommendation section where we recommend things we like that aren't necessarily fountain pens or fountain pen related, just, you know, some stuff that we're into. Chrissy, Aiden, who wants to go first? Who wants to... Uh, you, look like, you look like you're fighting over a recommendation. Yeah, uh, Chrissy and I have been playing the new Uncharted DLC, The Lost Legacy, that follows... Uncharted 4. Follows from Uncharted 4 with Chloe and Nadine, two side characters in previous Uncharted games, having their own adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good. The graphics are absolutely beautiful. The gameplay is smooth and crisp, and I've been absolutely loving it. And in things that are different to my usual video game recommendation, because I think I always do. It's not cyberpunk. It is a cyberpunk thing. The Luxumbra bus series is uh, for... They've, Luxembourg company, a Spanish company, has come out with a figurine bus for uh, collecting and painting, and they look absolutely phenomenal and a hundred percent high quality bus to collect. Okay. So. You started with Uncharted, didn't you? Yeah, no. So I, I just wanted to clarify that not only did you take Chrissy's recommendation, you slipped in a second one. I'm going to claim that they were both mine because <laughs> I'm the only one that's played Uncharted so far. So. Hey, 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 hey! I have a you got to watch on me. You got to watch me. Uh, Chrissy, <laughs> uh, what is your recommendation yeah, no, now? I'm, I'm definitely going to piggyback off um, the Uncharted DLC Lost Legacy. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed when there's female leads in, in video games that feel like almost real people. Nadine, in particular, she is a, a strong leader who's fighting back to get back uh, her... Well, what was her company uh, that she thought was taken from her. She was backstabbed and, well, she's out for blood. Uh, and I can I can respect that. Uh, then you've got the thief. I can't remember her name. Chloe. Thank you. Voiced um, by Claudia Black, so one of my favourite voice actors. Yes. Uh, uh, who is you know going through her cultural history uh, almost and following her father's footsteps and just seeing the character development of, of her going oh oh my god my father was here I'm following in his footsteps. It, it, it brings a new light to to this you know smart ass thief who just basically want to hang out with uh, Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series. But yeah, definitely she recommend. She describes herself as an antiquities collector, not a thief. But is she like an aggregator? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe she's just a user of antiquities. Mm. Uses them to get through the puzzles. Yeah. Takes us to the end of our episode today. Uh, thanks, Aiden, for joining us. Thanks, Chrissy. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners, until next time, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dai, Chucks Montano, Sharon Zah, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. 
recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Special thanks this episode goes to Nicholas Gold for taking the time to speak to Diana. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>